Good morning, Four Oaks. We know each other. I'm Pastor Paul, one of the members of the pastoral team here at Four Oaks Killarne. So glad you're with us. I'm going to invite you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 7. For the last six months or so, we have been on this journey through the gospel of Matthew, and now we find ourselves in the middle of the most famous sermon ever preached. And I'm not talking about this morning's sermon, okay? Talking about the Sermon on the Mount preached some 2,000 years ago, of course, by Jesus. And our passage this morning includes one of the most quoted verses in all of the Bible, while at the same time simultaneously being one of the most misinterpreted verses in all of the Bible, and that's saying something. So Barna took a poll. That's what Barna does. They take polls. This one was a few years ago. And they asked people to indicate whether they agreed or disagreed with the following statement. And here was the statement. One person should not criticize another person's lifestyle. Do you agree or disagree with that? Now, not unsurprisingly, 89% of non-believers indicated that, that, that's right, I agree with that. You should not criticize someone else's lifestyle, their moral choices. But interestingly, 72% of professing Christians also said that they agree with that statement, that we should not judge, should not make moral judgments. Now, I think if you go to the bottom of the pile, so to speak, try to find out the thing under the thing, you might come up with verses like, Matthew 7, 1, which says this, Judge not that you be not judged. Of all the verses in the Bible, let's be honest, this is the one culturally that we are most at home with, not just as those outside the church, but certainly those inside the church seemingly. And and we understand why, right? It fits the spirit of the age. You do your thing, you do you, I do me, um, we're not going to really speak into one another's life or make any kind of value judgments or moral judgments. And, and what it's become, I think, in a lot of ways, is sort of a protective shield, right? A, a, a barrier to, to ward off any kind of moral judgments that people might offer about somebody's lifestyle, somebody's behavior. How many times? Maybe you've said it, right? Don't judge. Don't judge. Is this what Jesus had in mind when he says this. Remember, Jesus is on a mission to lead his people, that's us if you are trusting in Christ, on a mission to wholeheartedness, to righteousness, to a place where the inside and the outside become more congruent, where, where, where who we are, really are, in the deepest parts of our hearts, and who we say we are, those come closer and closer as we grow in grace. Now, we know we're not ultimately going to get there in this life, but this is Jesus's mission for his people, and what he tells us this morning about judging has very powerful implications for the trajectory of our spiritual lives with with ourselves and also with other people. And so that's where we're going to go this morning. We're going to, it's a short passage, Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to invite you to stand as we read God's Word together. A very familiar passage, even if you're not particularly spiritual or grown up in the church. And Jesus is, of course, the one speaking, and here's what he says. 
judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice this log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's pray. Father, we live in an incredibly moral, morally confusing age where we lack clarity, we lack conviction. Or maybe we have clarity and conviction about the wrong sorts of things, Lord. It can be very perplexing how to walk our convictions out in the culture in which we live and with one another as your people. And so, Lord, we're just going to confess to you we, we don't know how to do this. We don't know how to do this well. We, we need your help. And so, Father, pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts to, to see your word and to see mostly you in this word this morning. We're asking these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please take your seats. I've entitled this message, very simple, don't hate. Just don't do it, right? And hopefully you won't be saying that to me after this is over, right? We're going to talk, be talking about judging, everybody's favorite topic here in the middle of our summer season. And here's where we're going to go this morning, judging what it isn't, what it is, and how we do it. All right, judging what it isn't, what it is, and how we do it. Let's spend a few minutes, if we can, under this first point, what it isn't. Look at verse 1. This is the one verse we all know. Our, our society is cultural experts. Judge not that you be not judged. And, and I want to spend just a few minutes talking about the way this particular passage or this particular phrase is often misinterpreted and misapplied. And in the process, I don't want to just regurgitate some biblical information for you. I want to give you some tools so that as you're reading the Bible, you can know how to make sense of passages like this. Where do we go? What do we do? How do we, how do we wrestle with, with hard text, confusing text? So one of the things that, that um, Dr. John Piper suggests that I think is really helpful is that when we come across a passage like this that immediately strikes us in an odd way, maybe we have a question about it. Maybe it's confusing. Maybe we start thinking about all the other verses in the Bible where it does talk about judging or, or what have you. And, and one of Dr. Piper's encouragements is that the best thing we can do at that point, and I know this is a big one, just keep reading. Just keep reading. Oftentimes, again, because we're, we can tend to be uh, shallow spiritually as an as a evangelical culture, and we're prone to want to grab sound bites, verses on the go and sort of plaster them over, over our life or over our morning. We don't take the time to really dig into the context and what's happening. This is always the first order of business. Just keep on reading. And sometimes 
what you're reading will immediately become clear, and that is most certainly the case in this passage. So if you look back down at verse 5, as, as, as Jesus makes this pronouncement, judge not that you be not judged. Look at verse 5. He says, first, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So immediately that tells us Jesus is not sort of disavowing the entire process of judging. Jesus is not saying all judgment is bad. How could Jesus be saying that when in this very same text he's saying, oh, no, 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 you are going to judge. It's just there is a specific way you're called to judge and a specific way you're not called to judge. So that, that's the first order of business. It's always look through the passage, and that's, this should signal to us first, oh, well, Jesus is going to offer a little nuance here about this process of judging. A second thing we want to do in biblical interpretation is always try to understand how a particular passage or verse jives with the rest of Scripture. We know God's Word is perfect, it's holy, it's pure, it does not contradict each other, one piece over the other, when we properly understand it. And so it's always helpful to see how does, how does my understanding of this text fit with the rest of the scope of Scripture? Because remember, as, as you've heard me say before, and this is my seminary professor reminding me of this, you can quote Scripture and commit heresy, right? You can yank verses out of context. And so when we look at this particular passage, if you start making your way down through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to get to this here in a couple of weeks. In verse 15, just a few, few passages later, Jesus is going to tell us very clearly, you must make judgments. See, he's talking there about false teachers, wolves in sheep's clothing. And how do you discern a, a, a real sheep versus little red riding hood sheep, right? How, how, how do you determine what's a wolf, what's a sheep? How do you tell the difference? And Jesus is going to say, test discern. In fact, you are going to need to make a judgment. And in fact, when we look through the scope of Scripture, whether it's 1 Corinthians 5, where Paul is telling the church there, don't judge the world, but you most certainly judge one another. And that's when he's exhorting them to put out of fellowship the immoral believer who had been having an inappropriate relationship with someone else in the church. Paul says, you are to judge him. Uh, when we come to Paul's pastoral epistles, Paul is constantly encouraging us to make right judgments, to discern between error, discern between truth. In fact, I, I, could, I would maintain this whole book, the Word of God, is one giant, it's many things, but it's no less than one giant manual to help us discern how to make right judgments. Who are we? Who is God? What is right? What is wrong? What is what is wise, what is true, what is false, what are, what are the ways of, of God. The whole Sermon on the Mount, right, is a page right out of the wisdom literature where we are called to make judgments, okay? Now, I don't want to beat the dead theological, it's not a dead theological horse, it's an alive theological horse. Don't, don't want to don't want to beat this too much, except to say once more, Scripture interprets Scripture. And to have, to properly understand God's Word, you have to have a command of the, of, of the totality 
of God's word. Now, there's also a really practical issue here. And let, let me speak to this point, because culturally, this is a favorite proof text that serves as sort of this barrier to, to prevent any criticism, any kind of judgment about what I'm wanting to do. So if someone in your neighborhood or your workplace or your class at school or college or your playgroup or wherever quoted this verse, used it to justify their behavior or, or reject any other opinions that might be contrary to what they've already decided to do, what would you say? How would, how would you respond would you have the biblical tools to be able to respond to that? Would you be able, as Peter said, to be ready to give a defense at the ready when confronted with this sort of thing? And I think it's, it's very simple. It's a very simple apologetic. We all make judgments. You cannot not make judgments. All of us, whether we admit it or not, are discerning what we want to do, how we want to do it, whether something works for us or doesn't work for us. You cannot not make judgments. And, but one of the paradoxes of this culture is that sometimes those who are, who are saying the loudest, don't judge me, are the ones who are offering the harshest judgments of others. And so we see how this can be morally confusing, but what we want to be clear about Jesus is saying, it's not about an issue of, 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 of not making judgments. You're going to make them. We have to make them to be obedient as believers. We're called to make them. The question is, how do we do it? What does it mean? What does that look like? Which brings us to our second point. Let's, we, we talked about what it is. Let's talk about, first, secondly, what judging is. So the, the Greek word behind judging, krino, it literally means to distinguish or to decide, to discern. See, one of the challenges we have in our language is that for us culturally to judge, I mean, that is the unpardonable sin, right? To, to, to judge, that has an entirely negative connotation in our culture. To be judged to be, is to be impugned. It is to be raked through the mud. It's to be harshly treated. It's to be censored. It's to be canceled. It's to be shut down. We need to understand that's not what this word means in its totality. In its totality, it's a wonderful word. It simply means to discern the ways of God, to distinguish what is beautiful and good and wise and true in the eyes of God versus what is false and destructive and untrue. And this is sort of helpful to remind ourselves the context into which Jesus is speaking into. Remember, the entire Sermon on the Mount is being delivered over and against the religious culture of the Pharisees. And understand something, the Pharisees were the kings of judgment. See, the Pharisees were the righteous. The Pharisees were the ones that, that, that were ostensibly supposed to be leading the people in, into the obedience of God and his word. But it's interestingly, at every opportunity, what does Jesus call them? Hypocrites. Why? It's not that they weren't doing the right things. Many of the things that they were doing were good. 
giving of alms and worshiping and sacrifices and praying and fasting, et cetera, et cetera. Jesus says, the problem is not what you're doing. The problem is why you're doing it. The problem is your heart. You're doing the right things for all the wrong reasons, Pharisees. You want to be seen. You want to be valued. You want to be treasured. You want to be lifted up. And so it was when it came to offering judgments. You see, in essence, the way you can interpret this is Jesus is saying, don't judge like the Pharisees. Don't judge unfairly. Don't judge wrongly. And, and let me give you a couple of examples where we see this. It's all through the Gospels. Listen to John chapter 7. Jesus answers them. He's speaking to the religious leaders. I did one work, and you mar all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me? Because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances. Now here's Jesus. But judge with right judgment. That, it's as clear as can be. We are to make judgments. What were the Pharisees doing? They were making judgments all right. But they were making judgments based upon their man-centered interpretations of the law. Take, for example, the Sabbath. God had made it very clear, don't work on the Sabbath. It's a day of rest. It's a day of worship. But the law always prescribed things that you could do on the Sabbath, either because it was a work of mercy or a work of necessity. So, for example, if your ox fell into the ditch on the Sabbath— you didn't just simply go over to your ox and say, I'm sorry about that ox, you're going to have to wait till tomorrow, right? Um, you would have PETA calling you and getting on your case on that one, right? You, 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 no, 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 you would, you're allowed, it's, okay. it's good, in fact, it's loving, it's, it's kind, it's care for that ox to pull him out of the ditch. By the same token, if you had a son that was supposed to be circumcised on the eighth day and that um, circumcision fell on the Sabbath, it was okay. There was one law that superseded another law. It was more important. And Jesus is saying, you guys make concessions for this, but yet you're criticizing me for healing a man on the Sabbath. There's no law about healing a man on the Sabbath. In fact, when we understand the crux of the law, the fulfillment of the law, of course love, mercy, and sacrifice is going to flow out of our lives all the time. And so what Jesus is saying is, you are hypocrites. The way you are judging, you are judging by wrong standards. You're judging by your man-made rules, your self-righteousness. You're being censorious, destructive, critical. And so when Jesus says, judge not, he means don't judge like that. And that's such a challenge for us to know that when we judge, we ultimately judge on the standard of God's word versus human preference, versus societal norms. And sometimes, let's be honest, it's super hard to know the difference. We have to give each other grace in this. 
So I, I mentioned before going to see the movie Jesus Revolution, but I decided because I'm a pastor and I have to get back to the source material to read the book, right? And so I've been reading the book. It's the story of Chuck Smith and Calvary Chapel and the Jesus movement in Southern California in the late 60s, early 70s. And one of the most fascinating dynamics that happened there is that here was Chuck Smith's upper middle-class white church, Southern California, and he was growing in the conviction, you know, the gospel's not just for us. The gospel is for everybody. The gospel is for those who particularly need it. And there's a whole generation of young people, hippies, who are doing all the wrong things for all the wrong reasons because they're searching, they're hungry, they're thirsty. And he says, we have to preach the gospel to them, the gospel of grace. And guess what happened? They opened the doors literally and people came in. People who dressed differently. People who had long hair. People who had no shoes. People, quite honestly, who smelled, right? And his whole story is about what a dramatic transition this was for the church. Because there was a lot of judging going on. If, if, these, if these kids would just be responsible and get a job, if these kids were responsible and get a pair of shoes, they need to cut their hair, they need to take a bath, and they probably did need to take a bath, let's be honest, right? They absolutely needed to take a bath. But in the point of their judging, they missed the whole gospel of grace. They were using a human standard when God says, I'm doing something beyond your little censorious, surfacy, man-made, societal norms. Now, you may be sitting here this morning and you're going to say, you're right, man. Thank goodness. Let, them, let those do-gooders have it, Pastor Paul. Those self-righteous. We, we know better. But of course, we all have personal convictions, let's be honest, that we use to judge others. I don't ask you if you do it. We all do. I'm asking what they are. Those things that God may have given you a conviction about, maybe even a clear conscience about, but which you've said, what is for me must be for thee. See, it may be about what sort of school you need to send your kids to, or what kind of financial management system that you need to adopt. Maybe it's all about politics for you. Maybe it's your approach to health. I don't know what it is. Sometimes, if you, in fact, I can make the case, the last three years, which we will refer to as the three years not to be named, right? The last three years have been one gigantic judge fest. We've posted, we've talked, we've pointed. I'm right in there with you. We've impugned. But we, in the middle of doing this, we have forgotten something. That when, when something falls outside the scope of the very clear and direct teachings and admonitions of Scripture, Paul actually gives us a very simple prescription for this about how not to judge. Romans 14. One person believes he made anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats for God has welcomed him 
Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. What is Paul telling us there? God is the ultimate judge. And that ultimately every person stands or falls before God in his conscience as consistent with the word of, word of God. Can we have conversations? Of course. Can we, can we discuss biblical principles? Can, can we engage? Can we, uh, of course. That's part of what it means to grow in discipleship. But at the end of the day, what Jesus is saying, what Paul is saying, we entrust one another to the Lord. Romans 14 continues on this way. What is, Paul makes it very clear. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So first question just to ask here in application point as we wind this person uh, as we wind this point down who or what do you despise it may not be something that you blast over social media it might just be something that you've tucked in the inner part of your heart and you see something goes down with someone and they make a decision and something happens because of that decision and there's a part of you that just delights in it it's like, see, I told you. See, if, if, I, if I had, if you just listened, if you just done this, if you had, if you just sent your kid to this school and not to that school, if you had just gone to see this person and not that person, if you'd approached it this way or not that way. So where in your heart do you despise? Maybe it's a person, maybe it's a thing, maybe it's an institution, maybe it's someone very close. But God says, leave that person to me. And by the way, we're not talking about not making judgments. We're going to talk, that's the third point. But I don't want to water this down, what we're saying right here. Paul says, entrust them to the Lord. The second thing, and this will be our launching off point to our, to our third, third point here. Verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. What does Peter tell us? He says, judgment begins where? Household of God. Now, the household of God is not an institution. It's not a smoke-filled room where the elders meet. And by the way, our rooms are not smoke-filled. We go outside to smoke, okay? Just, just so you're very clear about this. When he says the household of God, he means you. Me. Start there. The Lord is your master. You, you start there. There's plenty of time to bring right judgments, and we are to bring right judgments with others, but, but start there. And this is what gets us into our last point. How do we do this? How do we do it, Pastor Paul? This is the meat of the text. Look at verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is this log in your own eye? If you hypocrite, 
First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. There's all sorts of biblical commands all over our Bible that talk about one of the ways that we love each other, not the only way, but one of the ways we love each other is we spur one another on. We exhort each other. We encourage each other. We speak truth to each other. We correct each other. We bring discipline to one another. We, we point out things in one another that may not be pleasing to God. And that's a command, right? What, is, what does Paul say? Abhor what is evil. Love one another. See, that's, that's, so, so those things are not mutually exclusive. What Jesus is pointing out here is there is a way to do that that honors God and honors the other person. And so Jesus uses this metaphor of a, of a speck and a log. Now understand, theologians have spent volumes talking about this illustration and what it means, what it doesn't mean, and the etymology of the word log and speck. And I'm going to distill it all down to you in about 20 seconds, okay? Here, here it is. I think we overcomplicate it. I think they would have understood this in their context. A log is really big. A splinter is really small, okay? I, that's it, okay? I think that's, that's the main point. And the first thing Jesus tells us that we must do as believers is judge ourselves. That's the point. We have to discern within our own hearts first our own sin and shortcomings. This is why Paul says a man must examine himself before he comes to the table, right? And as we do that, guess what we're going to find? That we, you, me, I, the one doing the judging of myself, I am the most sinful person that I know. And until we can get to that point, that doesn't mean whether in actuality, in history, experientially, we are actually the most sinful person in the world, but there's no one who knows us better than ourselves. And as we come to look in our own hearts before God, everybody else may out there think we're righteous and holy, and we have, might have a little few specks here and a few specks there, but you and I, we know the truth about ourselves, right? We are tragically flawed, tragically sinful. We are more sinful if, I mean, you know you've really done an introspection in your heart when you can say, I am so much more sinful than any of these people could ever imagine. And when you come to examine your own heart, guess what? Your sin becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, when I was 19, I thought the circumference of my sin was about that. And 40 years later, oh, no, no, not that old, 35 years later, the circumference of my sin is this. And that's by the grace of God, which is why Jesus has to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Jesus is not stationary, right? His grace is eternal. It is infinite. And so as we come to these heart examinations, we're going to discover a lot of stuff, a lot of crud, a lot of darkness, a lot of wickedness that if people knew about, we think, they would just be absolutely horrified, and they would. But God's not. 
See, God, God, through Jesus, has paid that penalty for us. That's why you can take that journey into your heart and it not be despairing. Now, don't journey into your heart and stay there. Okay, I don't recommend that. Okay, just enough to know, here's who I am. Here, 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 here's, who, here's who I am. And, and I'm going to come, before I'm going to go deal with my brother and that thing that's a speck to me but is a log to him, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to come to terms with God's grace in my own heart. I'm going to self-examine. Now, how absurd would it be to say that I'm the most wicked person that I know, but then I'm going to go to my, but, but, but I'm, I'm going to ignore that, and I'm going to go right to my brother, and I'm going to pick at the speck in his or her eye. Now, I don't, was Jesus a jokester? Probably, I mean, I think this was meant to be kind of witty, a big log and the big speck. You get what I'm saying? I try to think of a, of a contemporary example. It'd be like if Susan and I were invited to a black tie event. And she decides she's going in the proper attire and looks beautiful as she always does. I decide I'm going casual. You know, flip-flops, bathing suit, tank top, just my normal daily attire around the home. I sleep in my bathing suit sometimes. Anyway, and I, and I get there and of course, it's an absolute embarrassment, right? Everybody's staring at me. What are you doing? You've lost your mind. But I'm completely oblivious, right? And not only am I oblivious, but I go around and I begin to correct everything that's wrong with everybody else's attire. Oh, oh your bow tie is just a little off. Fix that cummerbund. Button that button. Get that lint off your shirt. You would say, that, that's, that's absurd, Pastor Paul. Exactly. See, Jesus is wanting for us to come to a place of dramatic spiritual self-awareness. And when we do that, when we examine ourselves, I think there's going to be three things, I'm going to do these quickly, that I think are going to flavor the way we engage and, can I use this word, judge other things or other people. See, first of all, we have to come gently. Interesting thing about a speck, while it may be small, if you have a speck in your eye, nothing is going to be right till that speck is out, right? I mean, a speck, just a tiny speck can really drive you bonkers. It can be quite painful. And when you go to get that speck out of your eye, what do you use to get the speck out? Scissors, knife, blowtorch, that'll, that'll extinguish it, right? But this is oftentimes the very way we come to people, is it not? We come with the full force of a judging attitude, and Jesus says, not necessary. Just go gently. This is what Paul says. He says, Timothy, correct your opponent's. There is opponents. He says, correct your opponents with gentleness so that God might grant them a knowledge of the truth that will lead them to repentance. 
Gentleness is not for whims. Gentleness, gentleness, by the way, doesn't mean not having a conviction or not being clear or not having a conscience. Of course, all those things. It just means treading with someone else as a fellow sinner. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him, got it, in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Guys, self-righteous judgment is always a cloak, isn't it? To something is going on in my life that I want to keep at arm's length while pointing out the stuff in your life. So that's a distraction. Guys, this happens in marriages all the time. And... How much further would we get if we, again, understood Jesus calls us to go gently? He also calls us to go with grace. Okay, look at verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Now, that's kind of a proverbial saying. It just means what you give is what you receive. If you're kind of a nasty person to be around, you're going to sort of get nastiness in, in return. I was thinking about one of my favorite movies, Henry V. The, the British are getting ready to go into battle at Agincourt, and there are three men in high command who are traitors. And King Harry has figured out who they are. And he's given each of them letters. And he says, you've been entrusted with a very important mission. You are to take these letters to these specific places. This is crucial to the outcome of this battle. And he said, but before you go, let me ask you a question. We've recently discovered a traitor over here. And he's not only betraying us, he's betraying us to the French, which is a double betrayal, right? And I'm here to ask you, what, what should we do? How should we treat this man? And he's asking these guys who are actual traitors, who don't know that he knows, what should we do? Is it mercy or is it judgment? And what do they all say? Off with his head. He said, before you go, why don't you read that letter? So they all opened that letter and they were all reading their death warrants. It's a great example, right, of what Jesus is talking about in verse two. See, when we go with grace, we will receive grace. When we go with harsh, self-righteous judgment, we will receive harsh, self-righteous judgment. Here's the way Jonathan Pennington put this. If you, one has a condemning attitude toward others, this will be one's experience of the world. If one has a welcoming, accepting attitude, this will be one's experience. See, sometimes the harshest, angriest, most critical people have the harshest, angriest, most critical relationships. But when you are humble and self-aware and can engage with your brother or sister, whether it's a parent, child, marriage, community group, friend, whatever, classmate, then part of God's grace to you and showing grace is the grace that we receive. So we go humbly or gently, we go gracefully, and lastly, and we'll end with this one, we go with great discernment. Look at verse 6. 
Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. And what in the world does that have to do with judging? I don't know. Why don't you come on up, Joe, and let's, no, let me explain what I think, okay? One theologian put it this way, dogs and hogs, dogs and hogs. Now, when we think about dogs in that time, we're not talking about the semi-humans that many of you raise and spend thousands of dollars on with therapy, massages, Prozac, and all that other stuff, okay? Dogs were not domesticated. They were feral, they were wild, they were more like wolves. And Jesus is like, you don't invite the wolf to the table at the banquet. He's not just gonna eat the food, he's gonna eat you, right? Don't feed your pig pearls. Pig's gonna bite down on that thing and get mad at you because it's not slop, right? And he's gonna come after you. What is, what's the point here? Jesus is saying, when we judge, we must do it with great discernment. We have to know, God, have you given me a door here? Have you, have you given me a window? Have you given me a relationship? Or am I just the firebrand that everybody sees coming? I'm dropping bombs, whether it's online or in person, and everyone just scatters, right? Jesus is saying we have to go with great discernment prayerfully. Patience, kindness, gentleness. See, when we judge undiscerningly, haphazardly, self-righteously, we are playing God. And we forget who we are. You're just a man, just a woman, a sinful one at that. We're just servants. And we are there to communicate the king's bidding and then leave that person to do business with the king. Listen to what the way Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 4. Paul says, I'm not a, I'm, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. Before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, then each one will receive his commendation from God. At the end of the day, we all judge imperfectly. Doesn't mean we can't judge truly, we just judge imperfectly. Something that you're just so sure about is happening with that person in their heart, what they're doing, you may be right, but you may be wrong. Doesn't matter. God knows. God will one day come and shine the light of his judgment. You see, everybody in this room, every person on planet Earth is going to be judged by God. The question is, what kind of judgment will it be? If, if your judgment is apart from Christ... God will look at your works, your heart, your flesh, and say they fall woefully short. But if you know Christ, you are trusting in Christ, guess what? God doesn't judge you. God judges his own son in your place. See, there will be a judgment. Either you will be judged or Christ will be judged on your behalf. Paul says, cursed damned 
is anyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus was hung on a tree. He was cursed for you. God brought him under his judgment so that you could receive his mercy, grace, and righteousness. So I'm just going to spend a moment here, ask you to bow your heads and to reflect on this text, the way God has moved and stirred your heart. Prepare your hearts to come to the table, and I'm going to ask our leaders to come, prepare to serve the elements.